0: Good morning and welcome again. We're glad that you're, that you're here today. We have a number of visitors with us as always. We welcome you. We want you to know that we think of you as an honored guest. We'd love to have you come back and be with us again at every opportunity that you have. As I say from week to week, it may be that you're looking for a church home, and I want you to carefully consider the work here. I really believe that the church here has a lot to offer. There are many areas and opportunities for you to serve and we would love to have you come and join hands with us and be a part of this great work. We're gonna be looking at Isaiah chapter 35 in just a moment. As we look at Isaiah chapter 35, we're gonna be talking about the king's highway. Isaiah, of course, began writing about 750 years before the king, that is King Jesus, made his entrance into the world. And in Isaiah chapter 35, the prophet of old talked about how there would be a highway there. And so we're going to talk about the king's highway. Because in my mind, it's significant to us as we live here upon planet earth. Because ultimately, it's through Jesus that we have access to God the Father. And so as we think about the king's highway, I want to begin by first of all talking about the advent of the coming king. I mentioned a moment ago that Isaiah, in a very graphic way, in his book, talks about the coming of the king, King Jesus. And in chapter 35, at verse four, Isaiah said, God will come. This reminds us of the incarnation. That is, the incarnate king, the fact that Jesus would come into this world and ultimately bear the sins of the human family. The Bible speaks about the coming of Jesus. Isaiah, for example, in chapter seven at verse 14, said, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Matthew would say, but the term Emmanuel means God with us. John, in his gospel, said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14 he would say and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. Paul in writing to the church at Colossae said, speaking of Jesus, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so, the incarnate king. A couple of things here that I want to point out very quickly. First of all, the purpose of his coming. Why did Jesus come to earth? You remember the angel of God that appeared to Joseph in a dream? The angel said to Joseph that Mary would bring forth a son. And he said, He shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save the human family. The Lord said in Luke chapter 19 at verse 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Jesus came to save. That was his purpose in coming to this earth. But then Isaiah talks about his power. Look at verse 5. He describes the miraculous work of the coming king, that is, the incarnate king. He said, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the dumb sing." He goes on to say, water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I think about John the Baptist. During his imprisonment, the Bible says that he sent two of his disciples to Jesus. And they asked on behalf of John, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus said, you go back and tell John the things you hear and see. He said, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. During his earthly ministry of about three and a half years, Jesus demonstrated many, many miracles. All of those miracles attested to his deity. The fact that he was who he claimed to be, the son of God. And so, as we think about the incarnate king, there's a second thing I want you to see in connection with the advent of the coming king. And that is the transformation wrought by the Messiah or the king. And really there's a contrast in the book of Isaiah chapter 35 regarding the transforming work of the coming king. By way of contrast, he first talks about the wasteland of sin. Look at verse 1 of chapter 35. He said the wilderness and the wasteland or desert shall be glad for them. And then he goes on to talk about the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Did you know that when people live a life of sin that they are in effect in a barren desert? They're in a wasteland. The Bible tells us that the devil seeks to bait people. Over and over again, the Bible talks about how the devil is always lurking and after those of us who belong to the human family. James would say in chapter 1 of his book, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. And lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so he would say in verse 16 of chapter 1, do not err. My beloved brethren. In other words, stay away from the devil. Why? Because he tries to bait you. He will bait you. And then not only will the devil bait you, but he will break you. I think about this concept of the wasteland of sin. One of the best examples I know is Luke 15, the prodigal son. You remember the story that was narrated by Jesus about the young son that asked for his inheritance. He goes out into a far country, and the Bible says he wastes his substance with profligate living, riotous conduct. Everything that had been entrusted into his possession, he squandered, he wasted. And the Bible tells us that he ended up a broken young man. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, when he had spent all, There arose a famine in the land. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they have not only been baited by the devil, they have been broken by the devil. He has broken them down, beaten them down. He has blinded them. Not only have they been blinded by sin, but they have been bound by a life of sin. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. And so sin will take its toll in this life. If you're living in sin, you need to understand you're in a barren desert. But then there is a contrast between the wasteland of sin and what I would call the wonderland of salvation. Isaiah in a very graphic way talks about the beauty and the blessings of the coming king and the fact that Jesus has the ability to transform a wasteland, figuratively speaking, into a wonderland. Listen to what he says in verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellence of our God. And then look at verse 7. He said, the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. You ever thought about the fact that when Jesus came to earth, he dealt the devil, a death blow? And it's true. The devil has wrought havoc upon the human family, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And yet the emergence of the promised seed of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the coming of the king and the king's highway has made it possible for people today to enjoy the beauty and the blessings of God's redemptive work. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the advantages of the coming king. When we talk about the advantages of the coming king, listen to what Isaiah said in verse 8. A highway shall be there. Isaiah here is talking about the king's highway. Did you know that the highway to salvation runs straight Through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we talk about the opportunity to enjoy fellowship with God, to be reconciled with God, to be among the redeemed, we have to understand that the road runs through one man. That's Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke would say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. To think that Jesus has the ability to save us from sin. That the highway that leads to salvation, that leads to eternal life, runs straight through Jesus. He's the only hope we have. He is the only Savior. He is the coming King described by Isaiah. Isaiah would say in chapter 9, verse 6, He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Jesus King, so that we might have hope. There's some things that I want you to see as we talk about the advantages of the coming King and the fact that the highway to salvation runs through Jesus Christ. First of all, I want you to see that the highway... The king's highway is a highway. What I mean is, it is an elevated way. When you become a child of God, when you become a follower of the king, he will elevate your life. He'll take you out of a life of sin, and he will make you somebody. There is, first of all, the low road of sin. Think about that for a minute. When people are living a life of sin, they are, in effect, living beneath them because God did not design us to live a life of sin. But when we choose to live in sin, when we transgress the law of God, as John talks about in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, then we're choosing that low road. There are a lot of people today, they have the idea that they're happy and satisfied in a life of sin. They just don't know there's a better way. And there is a better way. Now, we talk about the low road of sin, but there is the high road of the saved. The Bible says a highway shall be there. The king's highway is a highway. Why do I say that? Because God has the ability to take somebody who is a sinner and make them a saint. Think about that for a minute. God has the ability, the power to transform your life. I don't care where you are. I don't care how deep you are in a life of sin. God has the ability to take you where you are and make you a saint. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to people that had at one time been caught up in the bondage of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. But in verse 11 he said, and such were some of you. Paul's simply saying, some of you had been living like this, but you were washed, what happened? They were baptized into Christ. Their sins were washed away. So when he wrote to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse two, he could write to those who belonged to the church of God, to those who had been sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. I thought those people were idolaters and adulterers and fornicators and homosexuals, that's right, they were. Past tense. God took them out of sin and made them a saint. The idea of being sanctified means to be set apart from one thing, that is the world, unto God. As a child of God, we have been set apart from the world under God's service. We belong to him. And so, the king's highway is a highway. But then there's a second thing. The king's highway is a holy way. Listen to what he says in verse 8 again. A highway shall be there and a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Please listen very carefully. When we talk about the king's highway and getting on the king's highway, let me just put it as simple as I can. All you have to do is turn right onto the king's highway and stay straight. That's all you have to do. How do you turn right onto the king's highway? Well, first of all, you come to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. That he is deity. Do you remember Peter in Matthew chapter 16? When Jesus had asked the disciples what people were saying about him? And then he said, but whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's only when we come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, the divine Son of God, that we can somehow get out of this life of sin. So we first of all believe Jesus to be the Son of God and then we're willing to renounce a life of sin. It's called repentance. On Pentecost Day, Peter said to multitudes of people in the city of Jerusalem to repent. That's what he commanded them. And and the reason he told them to repent was because they had been guilty of putting Jesus to death. He said, by lawless hands, you have crucified and slain the Son of God. And so we repent, we turn from a life of sin. And then we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts chapter eight, verse 37. The Bible then says we're to be baptized into Christ so that we might enjoy salvation, Mark 16, 16. We're baptized so that our sins might be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. When we do that, then we become children of God. The Bible says God adds us to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And once you get on that king's highway, the instructions are stay straight. Don't deviate to the left, don't deviate to the right, don't stop for any reason, you just stay straight, you just keep driving. Stay on that road, don't ever quit. That may dead end one day, That'll happen when you die or when Jesus comes. But you stay straight. Now, those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we're supposed to be striving to live a holy life. Peter would say, be holy. Why? Because God said, I'm holy. We belong to God. And we're to strive to cultivate a life of holiness. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 the writer said pursue or follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's imperative that we strive to live a righteous godly life in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we're perfect? No. We stumble and fall. Sometimes we say and do things we should not do. And yet in doing that we understand we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous who pleads our case before the bar of heaven. And John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the king's highway is, first of all, it is a highway. Secondly, it is a holy way. And thirdly, the king's highway is a happy way. There are a lot of blessings that are afforded those of us who become members of the body of Christ, those of us who choose to follow the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. Let me just give you some reasons why those of us who belong to the body of Christ live lives of happiness, contentment. First of all, there is security and peace. When I think about the security and peace that we have as children of God, I'm reminded of what Isaiah said in verse nine of chapter 35. He said, no lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there. As a child of God did you know that you can enjoy security and peace in Christ There is a sense of security afforded us who belong to the Lord. Why? Because we know we belong to God. That we have have the peace that passes all understanding. That there is a measure of peace and contentment that the world doesn't know. We live in a day and time when it would almost be unthinkable to not not lock our, our doors at night. When I was a young fella growing up, you didn't have to lock your doors, but you do now. Well, spiritually speaking, we have security and peace in Christ. To know that when this life ends, we have the hope of heaven. But then there are also songs of praise. In verse 10 he said, the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness. I want to just stop here and say this: As a child of God, we're not immune to trials and tribulations, tears and sorrows. There are a lot of problems that we face in this life. And there are a lot of reasons for that. The main reason is because we live in a world of sin. When Adam and Eve transgressed the Law of Garden, or rather the law of God in the Garden of Eden, sin made its way into the world. And the consequences of sin have continued to grow and mount as time has gone forth. The Bible says that one of, the, one of the byproducts of sin is spiritual death and physical death. And so I understand that we're not immune to the problems and the losses that are incurred on planet Earth. But I want you to think about this. As a child of God, Our lives are not dictated, our joy and happiness is not necessarily dictated by external circumstances. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, do you know where he was? He was in a Roman prison. And in writing to those saints, he could say rejoice in the Lord, and again, I say rejoice. Paul would say in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He could say, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, therein to be content. Look at Paul, look at his life. You think about the good times, but there were a lot of bad times, there were a lot of heartaches and trials and sorrows and tears. And yet Paul said, I've learned to be content. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for happiness and contentment and satisfaction, the problem is, they're looking in all the wrong places. They think happiness and contentment and joy come from the things of the world. And what what the Bible is saying is, this world, there are limitations with regard to the happiness, the joy that you can derive out of physical and material things. Solomon, for example, said, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. And those who love increase with abundance. All he's saying is, the more you have, the more you want. If you think the things of this life are gonna satisfy you and bring about a sense of contentment and peace in your life, you're wrong. The only thing that's gonna fill that void in your life is almighty God. Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. This is man's all. That's what life's about. And then there's a third thing, and that is the solid promise. We talk about the king's highway is a happy way. There is a solid promise given to us in verse 10 and I want to just add this. It's not just a solid promise, it is a rock solid promise. You can take it to the bank. What God says, when God says it, you can trust it. Here's what he says. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I think about the end of time. There is coming a day when Jesus will come again. Now when is that? I don't know. Jesus said of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But I know this. He's coming. He'll come as a thief in the night. And when Jesus comes again, what's going to happen to this earth? It's going to be destroyed. He said, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein shall be burned up. But he said in verse 13 of 2 Peter chapter 3, nevertheless we look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Now why do I say that? Because in that heavenly city, that abode that John talked about in Revelation chapter 21, here's what God said And here's what John recorded. There shall be no more death. I want you to think about that for a minute. You will never again stand at the side of an open grave. Yesterday I conducted the funeral of Ann Bowling. And we have seen over the course of the past few months A lot of our friends and family members step out into eternity. We felt the sting of death. But God said there will be no more death. You can take that to the bank. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said not only will there be no more death, but he said God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There are a lot of tears that come with death. And it's difficult for us as members of the human family to cope with the grieving process. But John said, there's not gonna be any more death. There's not gonna be any more tears. He said, there'll be no more more sorrow. There will be no more crying. And then he said, neither shall there be any more pain. The hospitals are full of people whose bodies are racked with pain. And the gamut of illness and disease in our society is wide ranging. But what God is saying is, you will never experience pain again. And so Isaiah is saying, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Here's what John said. These former things have passed away. They're gone. They're done. They're over. We'll never face them again. So in closing, I want to ask you a question. Are you on the king's highway? Are you living for the king? Paul said that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he the king of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? If he is not, today is the day, as Paul would say, of salvation. Today's the day to make it right. Today is the day to come home to the king, to come home to King Jesus, to live for him, to obey the gospel, to do what they did on Pentecost Day, to repent, be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away, and then to live faithfully until death with the promise of the crown of life. If you're here today and maybe you're not faithful, maybe your life's not been what it ought to be, and you want to come home, I want you to know the king wants you to come home. God wants you to be in fellowship with him. The Bible says confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And the Bible says God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1 verse 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?